So, Mr. Durst, is it your testimony that when you bought the gun, it came with 80 rounds of hollow point ammo? I said I assume that. I don't remember buying ammo, and I don't know where I got the gun. You're not going to testify that Lulu or one of the other dogs had another set of keys and maybe she opened the door to get back inside like Morris, are you? That's an argumentative, sustained and continuing Ar objection. The judge in Texas told Janine Pirro and Gilberto Najami to shut up. So you would agree then that Gilberto Najami represented a threat to you with respect to a New York prosecution at the time you were on the run, correct? Mr. Durst, isn't it true that that clip right there is basically a confession that you killed your wife and that depending on how things go, you might decide to take Douglas down with you? I think everything you just said is wrong. Welcome back to season two of Jury Duty, the trial of Robert Durst. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder. On Monday, August 30th, Robert Durst delivered yet another day of astonishing testimony as he continued his epic face-off with Los Angeles Deputy District Attorney John Lewin. The day's proceedings brought to mind images of a predator closing in on its prey as Lewin confronted Durst with incriminating new evidence and invited the defendant to confess to murder on the stand. In this episode, we'll explore the most exhilarating moments of the day, including Lewin's examination regarding Durst's alleged plans to kill Kathy's friend Gilberta Najami, Durst's alleged plans to kill his brother Douglas, and a blanket that may have been wrapped around Morris Black's dismembered head. That's coming up after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. John Lewin began the day by returning to the crime scene. There, he focused on three witnesses who were unable to testify, Susan's dogs. Last week, you also testified that you were very certain that you arrived at Susan Berman's house at 10 a.m., correct? Approximately 10 a.m., correct. And, Mr. Durst, at the time, you testified that when you arrived, the front door was locked, you waited roughly five minutes, and then you unlocked the door before making entry into the house. Is that correct? Correct. You indicated when you walked in, you saw the three dogs inside, correct? I saw two dogs, yes. And you eventually go to the backyard, but you said the dogs stay in the house and they don't follow you to the backyard, correct? I said I did not see them in the backyard. Mr. Durst, while you were in the backyard, you further testified that you heard the sound of a horn hawking from the front and you unlatched the back gate, opened it, relatched the gate, and went to the front again. Is that correct? Correct. And then you re-entered the uh, house for the second time. Is that correct? Correct. You further testified that as you walked back into the house, the dogs were still inside, correct? I saw some dogs inside, correct. And you have further testified that when you left the house for the final time, 
that the front door was closed, correct? I'm pretty sure I closed the front door behind me. And Mr. Nurse, you're familiar, you were present for the testimony of Susan's neighbors and the police that when they all responded that the front door was locked and that the police couldn't even make entry into the house through the front door. Do you recall that? Yes. Do you further recall, Mr. Durst, that Dr. Marvin Karp, Susan's immediate neighbor, testified that on December 23rd, 2000, around 9 or 9.30 a.m., he saw two of Susan Berman's dogs running loose around his front yard, correct? I don't recall, but I don't think I said that. Can you explain, then, how it is that between 9 and 9.30, the dogs are allegedly walking around the neighborhood, but when you arrive at 10 a.m., they had managed to get back inside a locked and secured house. Can you explain that? They are mistaken, saying 9 to 9.30. It must have been after 10 o'clock. You're not going to testify that Lulu or one of the other dogs had another set of keys and maybe she opened the door to get back inside like Morris, are you? That's an argumentative, sustain the continuing right. objection. Withdraw, Mr. Durst, you would agree that these are very small dogs and that they're not going to be able to jump over the fence to get into the backyard, correct? I guess it would depend on how tall the fence is. Well, Mr. Durst, you were there. You opened and closed the, the gate to the fence. You would agree that that fence is way too tall for old, small dogs like Susan's to be jumping over the fence, correct? Correct. So, Mr. Durst, can you explain how those dogs would have gotten back into the house if Dr. Karp's observations that two of them are walking around between 9 and 9.30 outside and your observations that at least two of them are inside a locked and secured house when you enter after 10? Can you explain that? They could have gone out the front door. When would they have gone out the front door? When I entered the house for a second time. But you testified, Mr. Durst, that when you enter the house for the second time, you end up seeing at least two of the dogs inside. That's been your testimony. So how does that work? They walked in the open door. So they walked out, and you missed them walking out. And then they managed to get back inside without you knowing it so that you can see them when you see Susan's body. Is that your testimony? Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Sustained. John Lewin then left the crime scene behind and inquired about Durst's activities in Galveston, specifically his activities involving Morris Black's dismembered head, which law enforcement never found. Mr. isn't it true that you recovered the head and then wrapped it in a blanket? No. Isn't it further true that you then drove with that head towards New Orleans and dumped that head in some unknown spot between Galveston and New Orleans? No. Isn't it further true, Mr. Durst, you don't dispute that you dropped off a blanket with a red stain at Young's Dry Cleaners in New Orleans on October 8, 2001. Is that correct? The quill that I took from the dry cleaner did not have a red stain. I think the dry cleaner got confused 
by the declaration on the quilt. You were present, Mr. Durst, when there was testimony at trial that the blanket had a red stain on it. Is that correct? I was present when the detective decided that the design of the quilt had a red stain. Well, Mr. Durst, why would you take a quilt or a blanket to the dry cleaners with a red stain on it if, in fact, what was a red stain wasn't actually a stain? I bought the quilt at a charity auction. They had quilts that were made as if they had been designed by various artists. They had a Rembrandt quilt, a Picasso quilt, and a Jackson Pollock quilt. I bought the Jackson Pollock quilt. You're not disputing that on October 8th, you dropped off the blanket with the red stain at Young's Dry Cleaning in New Orleans, correct? I dropped off the quilt that was designed as if it could have been painted by Jackson Pollock, who was known for drip paintings. So Mr. Durst, you've just taken off from Galveston and you are on the run on September 8th. I had left Galveston. I was not on the run. Well, Mr. Durst, you have dismembered Morris Black, dumped his body parts, into the water, seen his body parts float up on shore, you've cleaned out his apartment, and you've taken off from Galveston to head to New Orleans to your second identity as Diane Wynn, correct? Correct. So Mr. Durst, my question is this, you're in the middle of trying to get away from a killing and a dismemberment in Galveston, and yet you're going, you know what, sounds like a good time to take my blanket, which doesn't have a stain, into the cleaners to have cleaned. Does that make sense? I brought more than the one quilt to the dry cleaner. Well, Mr. Durst, isn't it true that the receipt that you had in the car only listed a blanket? I don't know. Well, let's put it up. Here's the receipt, Mr. Durst. Do you see it? This is Young's Dry Cleaning in Louisiana, correct? Correct. It says one blanket, correct? Correct. Under PCS, which you agree stands for pieces, it says one, correct? One, I see the one. By the way, you gave a phony name, correct? Is that the name there, Perrin? Perrin, is that the name you gave? Don't remember. Well, this was in your car when you were arrested the next day, correct? Yes. And you're the one who dropped it off at the dry cleaners at 4114 South Claiborne in New Orleans on October 8th, correct? Correct. After inquiring about Durst's purported Jackson Pollock quilt, Lewin zeroed in on items of evidence found in Durst's car when he was arrested in Pennsylvania. As we've previously reported, Durst was apprehended in a Wegmans grocery store parking lot after he shoplifted a sandwich and a Band-Aid. You agree, Mr. Durst, that what you did have in the glove box was a fully loaded 38, correct? Correct. And Mr. Durst, you previously said that you had this gun because you were thinking about killing yourself. Is that correct? Correct. How many rounds does it take for someone to kill themselves? I don't know. You don't know? 
No, I don't know. Mr. Durst, isn't it true that you had a number of rounds in the car? Go to the next image, please. Did you need 39 rounds of hollow point 38 ammo to kill yourself, Mr. Durst? No. So why did you have 40 rounds of ammo minimum in that car? I assume they came with a gun. So, Mr. Durst, you've got roughly 80 rounds of ammunition. Is it your testimony that when you bought the gun, it came with 80 rounds of hollow point ammo? I said I assume that. I don't remember buying ammo, and I don't know where I got the gun. Well, Mr. Durst, you would have had to have moved the ammo from wherever it was when you bought the gun to move it through several different rental cars, etc. Would you agree? Yes. Mr. Durst, isn't it true that in fact, what you were planning on doing is you were gonna get to that car with that unsuspecting officer, draw that firearm from the glove box and make your escape from Wegmans? A lady talked about how cooperative I was. The opposite that I was gonna go and stage a shootout with the police. Well, Mr. Durst, you agree it wouldn't have been much of a shootout because you would have gone to your glove box to get your ID, you would have taken that gun out, and that officer never would have known what hit him until you shot him, correct? Overruled. I guess if I, assuming I did not miss. Assuming you did not miss. Are you pretty confident, Mr. Durst? that you can hit somebody with five rounds of ammunition in a revolver from a few feet away? I think this conversation is silly. Well, Mr. Durst, all right, let's move on to the next issue. There is a second firearm that's in the car, is that correct? Yeah. Why did you need two firearms to kill yourself? Well, I was gonna shoot myself on both sides of the head at the same time. Is that, is that honestly your testimony right now? Yes. I just want to make sure you're not joking, you're being serious. That wasn't a joke or sarcasm. Oh, it is a joke. I just told you that I think this is silly. Lewin then presented an alternate theory explaining why Durst had the firearms and ammunition in his car. Is it fair to say that Gilberto Najami was a nemesis of yours for many years in the fact that she made it very public that she believed you killed Kathy? Was she a menace? No, nemesis, meaning somebody who is kind of your opposition. So in essence, for many years, would you agree Gilberto was making it public that she believed that you had killed Kathy Durst? Well, I, I guess yes. Would you further agree, Mr. Durst, that you were well aware that had you been charged in Kathy's disappearance, Gilberta would certainly have been a witness, correct? I don't know. And while you were on the run from Galveston, now that you've been involved in Morris's death and you've dismembered him, you are now thinking things are even worse with respect to Janine Pirro and Westchester, correct? I'm not sure I agree with that. Janine Pirro, she flew down 
right after I was arrested. Subsequently to me being arrested, she stopped even giving interviews about Robert Durst. She was given a court order, correct, by your judge in Texas that she was not allowed to speak to the media, correct? Yes, the judge in Texas told Janine Pirro and Gilberto Najami to shut up. So you would agree then that Gilberto Najami represented a threat to you with respect to a New York prosecution at the time you were on the run, correct? Oh, I guess during the six weeks that I was on the run, before being arrested in Pennsylvania, it would be correct that Gilberto Najami and Janine Pirro were a threat. And would you agree that when you were arrested in Pennsylvania, you had Gilberta's addresses, her work and home, in Connecticut, inside your car? I had Gilberta's address and phone number inside my contacts. Her address and phone number were one of a hundred contacts that I had. Isn't it true, Mr. Durst, that in fact you had an address and map of her Connecticut town, Fairfield, inside of the Corsica when you were arrested in Pennsylvania? I had a map of Connecticut. You got a map I of... I owned a house in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Is Ridgefield in Fairfield County? Ridgefield is in Fairfield County. And did Gilberta live in Fairfield County? I'm not sure if Newtown is in Fairfield County or not. Mr. Durst, what possible reason could you have had for having Gilberta's address and a map of the city where she lived in Connecticut, other than that you intended on driving up there and killing her? I do not think I had a map of the city where she lived. Did you have her work address in your car, Mr. Durst, written down? No. I don't know where she was. Here, John. People's 46. Okay. Mr. Durst, the Hilton Garden Inn in Danbury is one of the places you stayed while you were on the run from Galveston. Is that correct? Correct. And so, Mr. Durst, the phone number that is written down there and the Center for Women uh, Families and the address, that is Gilberta's phone number and where she worked, correct? I don't know. You would agree, Mr. Durst, that this is not simply in an address book. This is on a piece of paper that you had to have filled out while you were on the run, staying at that motel and getting the stationery, correct? It was on a piece of paper, and there were numerous other pieces of paper. I want you to assume for a moment that that is Gilberta's address, where she worked, and her phone number. Can you, Mr. Durst, explain why you would have had that information on hotel stationery nearly 20 years after your wife disappeared? I'm not sure. The Center for Women and Families is where Gilberti worked. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The prosecutor then questioned Durst about another of his enemies, his estranged brother, Douglas. Let's talk about your brother, Douglas, for a moment. When you use the letters BM, you're referring to Douglas, correct? No. I'm going to play for you RD-532. This is a jail call to your wife from December 21st, 2001. You know, for, for me to explain or let the jury know what a terrible life I've had. The way to do it is to get BM to testify. No, it's a What? It's like an incredible mistake. I can't. No, I can't. Mistake. I could get BM and I could get the other people who, who watched him being, you know, hoo-hoo during those days. Right. And have them all testify. Mr. Durst, isn't it correct that you are discussing here getting your brother Douglas to testify regarding the terrible life that you guys had growing up, correct? I do not recall ever referring to Douglas as BM. Doesn't BM, Mr. Durst, isn't that one of your little Bobisms and doesn't that stand for, stand for bowel movement? Isn't that why you're calling him BM? BM is bowel movement. What it has to do with Douglas, I have no idea. So if BM is not Douglas, Mr. Durst, who else could it be in this context? I don't know. But you agree it definitely stands for bowel movement, correct? Bowel movement. BM sounds right. And by the way, does Douglas have a reason to be afraid of you? He says he does. Isn't it true, Mr. Durst, that during the litigation, you were deposed and you were asked if you were aware that your brother had hired a bodyguard because he was fearful of you. Do you recall that? Yes. What did you say in response? I said yes, and then I corrected myself and said I did, did not know that he had hired a bodyguard. I read that he hired an investigator. Isn't it correct, Mr. Durst, that what you said in the response to that as to why your brother had hired a bodyguard was, quote, because he's a pussy, unquote. It sounds like something I would say. Have you ever discussed any plans to kill your brother Douglas? No. When you were arrested in Pennsylvania, didn't you have a notebook that specifically discussed your brother Douglas and said the following, what DD is doing to me puts me in the same place as what Kathy did to me. Can we show that exhibit as well, please? Do you remember, Mr. Durst? Yeah. What did you mean by that, Mr. Durst? D.D. is Douglas Durst, correct? I had to fight to run the family business, even though I did not want to run the family business. And I had to fight with Kathy about our divorce, even though we were not getting divorced. In fact, you had a conversation with your wife about your plans to kill your brother Douglas, correct? Where did it say that I had plans to kill Douglas? RD 530, 
uh, jail call from Pennsylvania at 9.39 a.m. And do you know what I told you the other day about Douglas when we were talking, what I said I thought you were going to do? Remember? No. We were talking, you were telling me about what your life has been like and what you were thinking. Yeah, my, 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 my plans, yeah. Okay. I'm definitely but, not going to say okay, it. Okay, but you told me what your plans were. Well, and I told you that I knew, I had a feeling, I suspected. Remember? You know, I certainly screwed it up, didn't I? Well, never mind that. But if I suspected, he too suspected what I'm trying to say. I didn't really focus well, on Well, that. something I I, 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 I think I left this out. Did I tell you that I went to his Katona house while I was in Danbury? Uh, I think I read that you did, but I didn't. I don't remember if you told me. Well, you read somebody. I mean, I think I told these, you know, the Mike Kennedy types that I was driving around these places. I grew up, my family places. And oh, this. it was in the newspaper then. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but I, I really went. The next time we, we have a visiting day, I'll go over it with you. I, I'd like I, to hear it, but I, I, I sort of left that out. Okay, but I just want you to know that. Remember what I told you? I thought you were going to do. He knew it too. Keep that in mind. I think that if he was concerned about that, he wouldn't have been treating me so bad. I disagree. What? I don't agree with him. He's treating you because pretty bad. Because he thought I would screw it up like I did? <laughs> Maybe he's right. I guess he is right then. But you know, if, if you're remember right... remember that if I knew it, he knew it. That's my point. That was a conversation about Douglas, correct? I don't think so. Really, Mr. Durst? You talk about specifically mentioning, I left this out. Did I tell you I went to his Katona house while I was in Danbury? That's your brother Douglas, correct? Correct. And you knew it was your brother Douglas when I asked you a moment ago, but you didn't realize that you had said the word Katona and that you were trapped, correct? Not correct. You went on, Mr. Durst. By the way, this is a discussion with your wife where you are basically saying to her that you had plans to kill Douglas, but you didn't think he knew about it or he would have been treating you more nicely, correct? I had plans to kill myself, not Douglas. So you were going to the Katona house to kill yourself? I was driving around the places I used to live and I used to play. So and I started living in the Katona house with Kathy before Douglas and his bitchy wife, Susanna, arrived with their two children. Okay, you had a second call a week later on December 21st, 2001 at 8.05 p.m. From way back when, I was planning on Igoring DM. Yes, I know. So that was a big problem with getting married because I was afraid that what happened to me just now, you know, would, would, would happen back then. Well, can I ask you, now that you brought that up, don't you think he knew how you felt? Uh, I don't think he knew what, what I, you know, Igor. Yeah, I think he did because I knew. So I think... Oh, no. He, he, he don't know me like that. Maybe, maybe now... He suspects that maybe or something. I, I, I don't know. This is just so... I, I suspect he doesn't even suspect now. You agree, Mr. Durst, that what you said was, I was playing an Igoring BM, correct? That's what you said. No. I don't know what Igoring means. I don't know who BM is. So 
your position now is that you don't know what you meant by the word egoring, correct? Right. Isn't it true, Mr. Durst, that egoring is a short term that you use? It refers to your dogs who have died, and it basically means that you were planning on killing BM, correct? No. And isn't it further true, Mr. Durst, that during this call, your wife says that um, if I knew about it, I think he knew, referring to Douglas, correct? No. So what does egoring mean if it doesn't mean what I just said it does? What does it mean? I don't think I said egoring. You don't think you said the word egoring? Correct. I don't know what I said. I think my wife was saying that she had figured out that I was planning on killing myself. So this is, again, this is another conversation about suicide? Yeah. So when you say, I don't think he knew what I was, you know, Igor. Are you referring to yourself by the pronoun he? Can I use the pronoun what? He. It says, I don't think he knew what I was, you know, Igor. And then your wife responds, yeah, I think he did because I knew, so I think he knew. And then in the next line, oh, no, he, he, he don't know me like that. Maybe, maybe now he, he suspects that maybe or something, I, I don't know. I suspect that he doesn't even suspect now. That's about eight uses of the word pronoun he. Would you agree? Correct. Who is he, if not Douglas Durst? Could have been anybody. At this point, John Lewin confronted Durst with incriminating evidence never heard before in court, evidence that, according to the prosecution, sounded a lot like a confession. Mr. Durst, isn't it true that you have discussed that potentially at your trial that you might actually say that your brother or your father were involved in covering up Kathy's disappearance and death? I never said my brother or my father was involved in covering up Kathy's disappearance. Didn't you say, Mr. Durst, that depending on how things went at trial, that you might actually get up there and say falsely that your brother or your father was involved in helping you get rid of your wife? Never said that. Can you play the 1021-15 uh, jail call at Mr. Durst, you were telling your wife that depending on how things go, you might confirm falsely 
what Janine Pirro allegedly thinks that Douglas helped you get rid of Kathy. That's what you said to your wife, correct, on October 21st, 2015. Correct. Well, Mr. Durst, can you explain that? It's not Andrew Jarecki, correct? You're not talking to me to get a plea agreement. So please explain that clip. You're speechless, aren't you? This doesn't make sense. I don't know how, how my trial, what, what trial we're talking about. Mr. Durst, isn't it true that that clip right there is basically a confession that you killed your wife and that depending on how things go, you might decide to take Douglas down with you? I think everything you just said is wrong. Explain how it's wrong. It's not a confession that I killed my wife. Explain, Mr. Durst, how you can say, right, 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 I might decide, depending on how things go, to confirm her thoughts that Douglas helped you get rid of Kathy's body. I still don't see how that could possibly help me at trial. Now, Mr. Durst, the point is not that it will help you at trial. The point is, is you're saying that depending on how things go, if things are going really bad, you're going to take your hated brother down with you, even though he wasn't involved, just to spite him and put him in the same murderous position you're in. That's what that means, correct? What trial are we talking about? This trial, Mr. Durst. This trial. This was a call from October 21st, 2015. Why don't you just tell us right now, get it out and just tell us what you did. This is your shot. Everyone's watching, the world's watching you. Here's your chance. Tell them what you did. Argument, rephrase. I thought this trial was about Susan Bowman. This trial, Mr. Durst, as you are aware, alleges a special circumstance of witness killing, that you killed Susan Berman because you killed your wife and she helped you cover it up. So my question to you again is, since you cannot explain what is, in essence, can be argued as a confession, Mr. Durst, why don't you just right now put the facade down and tell people what actually happened? why you did what you did. I have repeatedly told people what happened and why I did what I did. When court adjourned, John Lewin was still not finished with his rigorous cross-examination of the defendant, so the schedule was altered to accommodate another day. We'll cover his final day of cross-examination in our next episode. Joining us again is Charlie Bagley, reporter for the New York Times and CrimeStory.com covering this wild and crazy trial. Charlie, welcome back. Hey, thank you. So Charlie, you know, as the day started, it felt like John Lewin was being very detail-oriented, but as the day picked up momentum, so did the prosecutor, and it steamed toward a blockbuster of a finish, in my opinion. The first gotcha moment of the day was when Lewin pointed out that Durst said that he arrived at Susan's at around 
10 a.m. and the dogs were in the house at that moment. And yet he reminded Durst and the jurors that Dr. Marvin Karp saw the dogs running around the street on Benedict Canyon Drive at 9.30 or 9 that morning. Tell me what your observations were as the prosecutor asked Durst about that situation. I think throughout the trial, or at least throughout his testimony, Bob has shown a remarkable ability to weave together a narrative. What becomes his downfall is there are so many trip points where he could screw it up. And this appears to be one of them. And because he was unfamiliar with prior testimony, you know, the neighbor, Dr. Karp, is saying, well, this is unusual. The dogs are running around free. We better do something. I I think Bob didn't realize that his story was in direct contradiction of real evidence that's out there. Right. It calls to mind that jailhouse call between Bob and his wife, Debbie Cheriton, where Bob talks about rehearsing his testimony and asking Debbie if his version of the story sounds believable. And you can just picture these two rehearsing the story and trying to get the details right. Charlie, what did you make of all that? It's certainly Bob's M.O. I, I know from speaking to his friends when I was in Galveston for the trial that Bob was very concerned about how he looked to the jury how he sounded to the jury. He, he was really trying to design a, a believable persona on the stand. And, and that telephone call from uh, the New Orleans jail is just another indicator. You know, he's constantly practicing and very aware of how he might be perceived and how he might change those perceptions. Right. And then we had the testimony regarding the blanket, or as Bob put it today, the Jackson Pollock replica quilt. During the course of the questioning, the prosecutor put an image of a Jackson Pollock painting, and it was one of those Pollock-style paintings that it actually looks like the red in it could be blood spatter. What did you make of that, Charlie? I was fascinated by that exchange because I've always been interested in a couple of questions. One, of course, is what happened to Morris's head. We know that in all likelihood, it was in this plastic bag that washed up separate from the body parts of Morris Black, but we don't know where it went to. But I I do think that the blanket is a very important piece of evidence, although it's hard to prove anything one way or the other because it was taken to a dry cleaner. But the prosecutor pointed out quite insightfully to my mind, that Bob Durst is on the run. And the one thing he thinks to do when he gets to New Orleans is to take one quilt in for dry cleaning. Now, you could argue, I suppose, that he also decided to go back to Galveston to get the glasses that he was prescribed. But with respect to the glasses, he needed the glasses to be able to drive. But I'm not sure he needed a whoopee, you know? Brittany, what did you think about that part of the testimony? There's a lot to say about the blanket. First of all, I'd love to know what kind of charity auctions off Rembrandt and Pollock patterned quilts. It sounds very specific. Also, I thought Lewin made a great point that if Bob insists that the red in the blanket or the quilt was part of the design, then why would the dry cleaner make a note of the fact that he couldn't get the stain out? You know, Bob must have told him there was a stain. 
I also like that Bob tried to go down the road of saying that he brought multiple items to the dry cleaner, but the receipt that was found in his car locked him into just the one blanket. And then as far as Bob stopping at the dry cleaner when he's on the run, I thought that was just peak Bob Durst. You know, when you get through a a big task like dismembering your friend, you can finally get around to all those little chores you've been putting off, like laundering a blanket you bought three weeks ago. Well, you know, the the prosecutor, John Lewin, has hammered home the point that Bob is a cheap guy. Maybe he wanted to save that blanket. It was a perfectly good blanket. It just had some red stuff on it. I'm not saying that's what Bob was doing, but the red stain, when the police went to pick up that blanket at the dry cleaners and the owner brought the blanket forward, he said, well, just let the guy know I couldn't get that red stain out. Just incredible. Speaking of Galveston, Lewin also asked Bob about the fifth of Jack Daniels he testified to drinking before dismembering Morris Black. Brittany, what did you make of that? I think it must seem to Bob like saying that he was plastered makes the fact that he sawed through human bones seem a little bit more palatable, but it was pretty unbelievable. If he had consumed that much whiskey, he would have been the body on the floor, not Morris Black. They probably both would have been on the floor because <laughs> Morris Black would have been dead and Bob would have been at least unconscious right there next to him. Exactly. Then we came to the moment where Lewin asked Durst if he was intending to kill himself, why he had two guns and 80 rounds of ammunition. Charlie, talk us through the response in the courtroom when Bob gave his answer to that question. It was one of those say what moments. Were you going to kill some other people? And Bob said, no, I was going to kill myself. I was going to put one gun to each side of my head and fire them. And it was like, what? Why does he need 80 rounds of ammunition to do that? And, you know, he later said he was joking. And I did get a hint of sarcasm in his voice. But at the same time, he looked insane when he was saying it. Yes. I mean, who makes up, a, even as a joke, uh, something like that about putting guns to either side of your head and pulling the triggers? And why would he have all that ammunition? From what we know, Bob was on a mission. And then he played off the fact that he had Gilberto Najami's address in his car written on stationery from a motel he clearly stayed in. And he tried to play that off like, yeah, I just had it in my contacts with all the other contacts, when in fact it was written specifically down and came with a map of the community in which she lived. Definitely. I mean, he did not like Gilberta. This was a woman, she was close to Kathy. They had been friends since nursing school. And she was very vocal, particularly in 2000, 2001, when there was a renewed investigation in Westchester, New York, of Kathy's disappearance. And she was very loud, very vocal. She knew all the reporters. And in fact, when Bob was captured in Pennsylvania, when he was brought into court, Gilberta was there. And then when Bob was escorted out of the courtroom, Gilberta had positioned herself so that she could confront Bob in front of all the Klieg lights and ask him, what did you do with Kathy? So as, as Lewin asked him, wasn't she your nemesis? She certainly was. And then finally, we came to a series of jailhouse calls, mostly with Bob's wife, Debbie Chariton. And that was an incredible sequence where Bob denied that he was referring to his brother Douglas, 
when he talked about, quote unquote, egoring him, which the prosecutor alleged was a euphemism for killing him. He denied that he made up the nickname BM for Douglas Durst. He proclaimed he didn't know what BM meant, even when Lewin suggested it would mean bowel movement because he hated his brother so much. But then I think the piece de resistance was the moment where Lewin played the jailhouse call from 2015 after Durst's arrest in New Orleans. And in this clip, Durst says to Debbie Chariton, sort of in a moment of despair, well, we'll have to see how it goes, but maybe what I do is just say that Douglas helped me cover up Kathy's death. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the essence of what he was suggesting. And that was just stunning. Absolutely. I I, I had two thoughts about it. One was, after all these years, Bob is still so indiscreet on the prison telephone call. Remember, there's a sign in front of him that says this call is recorded. And in some cases, there's even recordings that tell you when the phone call begins that it's, that it's recorded. Uh, Bob's friends, wh- when he called them, they were always very mindful of the fact that it was being recorded. But Bob can't help himself. He's got to talk. The second thing is, I've always thought that, that Bob started talking to reporters in 2010 for two reasons. Number one, he wanted to tell his own story. But the second thing that I think was always on his agenda, at least according to his friends, was to throw dirt, as much dirt as he could, onto the reputations of both his father and his brother. And that would mean pulling them into his own misdeeds as co-conspirators. And that phone call lays it all out. It sure does. Well, tomorrow will be the final day of cross-examination of Robert Durst. There'll be redirect and then perhaps some recross. But I think that light is at the end of the tunnel, and it increasingly feels like a freight train heading for the fate of Robert Durst. Charlie, thanks once again for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Please remember that you can receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from Season 1. And head over to CrimeStory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Molly Miller. It was edited by Molly Miller and Alexis Notabartolo, with help from Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced by Molly Miller, Alexis Notabartolo, and Brittany Bookbinder. Music was provided by Strike Audio. 
Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.